0: I think at the end of the day it's less about mom and pop or corporate and more about amateur versus pro and i was reading in a book i don't think it uses exact words but it was amateurs wing it professionals have a plan Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day i think that's what separates people who are treating this like a diy hobby business versus something where they maybe their family is going to survive on this long term You're listening to The Venue Rx Podcast.
1: What is up, everyone? Welcome to The Venue Rx. And on this show, we are passionate about documenting and sharing best practices around owning, operating, and managing world-class wedding venues. And we have a number of different styles of show, uh, many different series. We've talked to uh, actual wedding venue owners, which is so much fun because we kind of get to hear boots on the ground, what's going on inside their businesses and what challenges they face and and the wins that they're experiencing as well. We also talk to industry professionals on a variety of topics, and that is one of the shows that we have for you today. And I'm really excited to welcome back to the show uh, someone who I've looked up to, who's been a mentor and who has a wonderful business. uh, Sam Jacobson, thank you so much for being here.
0: Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on again, Jonathan. I love repeat uh, option opportunities to talk with with people about things you can do to grow the business.
1: Definitely, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, you know, your your company ID Action. Uh, you do consulting. You have a number of different things you do. Can you just for anyone who's not familiar with your work, uh, just give a, a quick synopsis of what you do?
0: Yeah, so my company ID Action, I co-own it with my wife Katie. We do business coaching. We have uh, website copywriting is a big part of the services that we offer. We have six full-time copywriters on our team. Uh, we also host uh, online programs where we kind of have done with you and done for you coaching programs, and then we do in-person retreats where we do deep dives on businesses to figure out what's next for the company so full suite of services wherever you're at and growing your business we're there to help that
1: is that's so huge because i think a lot of us as business owners sometimes like we don't know we don't know right and it sometimes takes someone else looking at what we're doing to create a little bit of objectivity Um, that's huge what what's your background in i don't know if we really covered this extensively i think we touched on it briefly but i don't know how extensively we covered uh your your background in our previous episode
0: yeah you know i'm glad you asked because it's i think it's really important and a little bit of our secret sauce so my background and my wife's background were both venue managers she worked at four seasons for 14 years as a director of catering and she had eight years of luxury venue sales experience before that I worked at a premium resort up in Washington State, where I was the lodging director and event sales manager for eight years. So I sold venue and catering, in-house catering, directly to, you know, couples. Booked three hundred couples, ten million dollars in overall revenue for the property. After that, I I did a couple of years as a director of operations for Todd Events, uh, large scale design decor planning company out of texas and then for the last six years i've been working exclusively with wedding and event professionals in the the coaching capacity so i've been in the wedding industry since 2006 my wife's been in since 1998. uh you know i know that dates us a little bit but uh, we like to think about the you know the gray in my beard at least is uh you know a a level of wisdom that has taken a long time to achieve
1: yeah absolutely i I feel like, given the fact that you've been through a couple of different economic cycles, and you know a lot of fear, I think that exists right now around just what's happening in the market. You know, my leads have slowed down. Um, I'm not getting maybe as many bookings. Is this a temporary thing? Is this kind of like a um, something kind of fallout from COVID? You know, obviously some of the financial news that's happening. You know, right now as we're we're recording this. Um, I, I'm excited to chat with you today because I want to focus on leads. I want to focus on some of the marketing, kind of that front end, front side of the funnel. You have a lot of experience, and your wife has a lot of experience in corporate, more more uh, corporate side of events. Uh, and obviously, you've got tons of experience now with also probably like more mom and pop organizations. What do you think? you know, startup organizations, you know, families maybe who have come together to start a a wedding venue in in their barn or on their property or things like that. Um, Folks who don't have a corporate structure and a background and a CFO and all these different things, what do you think that they can learn from, you know, this this different world of events that is much more structured, that is much more kind of uh, organized because of the corporate direction that it comes from?
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. I think at the end of the day, it's less about mom and pop or corporate and more about amateur versus pro. And I was reading in a book. I don't think it uses exact words, but it was amateurs wing it. Professionals have a plan. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I think that's what separates people who are treating this like a DIY hobby business versus something where they maybe their family is going to survive on this long term. Um, you know, it, at some point, you know, we, we, we decide we want to open up a business and a lot of us decide to bootstrap it or DIY, even if we're doing something big like a venue and, and it's good to try and do things on your own, but doing things on your own, especially when you don't have any experience will only get you so far. At some point you'll hit a ceiling. And for some people that that ceiling is higher, some it's lower. It's basically wherever your natural ability will get you. And at that point, you've got to start doing things that are known to get you from where you are to where you want to be, rather than trying to find your way through trial and error. So I would recommend that no matter what kind of business you're running and no matter what kind of field you're in in the event industry, and if you're a mom and pop or you're backed by you know investors, you should always come at it with a plan and and start with a model of what has worked for others in the past and then tweak that based on your current situation. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. There's no reason to come up with something on your own. There's no reason to waste a bunch of time going through and learning from your mistakes when all those mistakes, frankly, have probably already been made and it's way easier to learn from other people and their mistakes than it is to make it on your own and have to learn from those again.
1: (laughs) That's so true and that resonates and I'm smiling because you know, we actually hired, well, first, I totally 100% believe in that. In fact, you know, uh, we actually hired you to come in, you know, you and I chatted several different times. And you know, the insight that you provided on pricing and just how our packages were positioned at our venues were huge. So I mean, case in point, definitely putting my money where my mouth is. But we actually also hired a, a team to come in and kind of look at our company as a whole. And it's, it's hilarious, because, we're going through. It's a multi-day thing. and We're listening to all these different, you know, things that they're presenting us with. And these folks have been in business, you know, thirty-plus years. Very experienced team, just running businesses. And all of these things that they're talking about are like mistakes that we've made or just continue to make over years. And I'm sitting there going, like, oh my gosh, like we should have done this <laughs> way earlier. Oh, it would have saved time and honestly saved a lot of money
0: it would have you know I think that that's I think that's one of the things that I try and remind my clients is that you shouldn't trip over dimes to pick up pennies and you know I think as a young you know company you're you're bootstrapping it you're trying to do everything you possibly can on your own like a startup would where you are putting in the hours and you know you're you're getting some people together with some good ideas and that that's a great place to start but at some point you have to recognize that there's a shortcut through all the mess that you're probably creating and somebody knows the way through. And the faster you can get to what you're best at, and and identify the path forward, the sooner you're going to get to where you want to go. So true. Let's jump
1: into that because I want to I want to talk about that. I have a question for you. Um, as As we look at kind of this very evolving, changing landscape, what do you think the place uh, What do you think the place of AI, artificial intelligence, has? for wedding venues or even just wedding and event pros, some people are using it as a hot, like a, a tool, kind of like, oh, let's put in a, a prompt. And some people are taking it really seriously, right? Where where do you sit? What are your thoughts on it as someone who's a professional copywriter and, and you know, you've been in this space a long time, how are you viewing AI? Yeah,
0: you know, I've got my eyes on it, that's for sure. And I have for a long time. I think, you know, a few years ago when you had, you know, chatbots for instance that were on websites I think that was when I was tuning in more than I had before how robots or machines might be able to help out and you know I've read some pretty interesting numbers that are eye-opening when it comes to especially Gen Z and and um you know th- their interest in chatting for instance versus picking up the phone and calling and whether that's for customer service or even just quick sales questions that people have on websites it's something that we haven't necessarily gotten into but it, I've got it on the list of projects to do when I slow down with the existing projects I have so I think that there's definitely some some upsides to for instance using AI or chatbots on on websites I think that it's it's uh, great to use it as a wayfinder to steer people to the right information or resources or to answer frequently asked questions obviously over the last couple months Things like ChatGPT have been at the top of the news. And I remember a couple of months ago kind of goofing around with it. Um, I, I I was knocked over by it, thought it was kind of amusing. We were hanging out and chatting about it. And then I went back home and I dug into it a little bit. And I think the way that I see it right now is that something like ChatGPT for copywriters, for instance, is not necessarily a, a, an existential threat or even a, a, a job threat. I think if anything, it's just a tool. I mean i i go through and i look at for instance our our photography clients where you know they're they're you know say photographing weddings and over an eight-hour period 10-hour period they might come away with three or four thousand digital images and then you know they have to go through and cull and then edit and then they could finally present the finished album to the client or at least the finished gallery to the client And I think about what's happened over the last 18 to 24 months with the editing and culling applications that are out there using AI. And I think how helpful that's been for them where they can cull a 3000 image gallery using AI in under 30 minutes and how much time that saves them, four or five, 10 hours. And then the editing, they can upload the, the presets that they have and all of the work or most of it will be done. And what's left for them is the most important work, that human touch that, that only a human at this point can do. I think when I look at what you know, applications like ChatGPT or whatever is gonna come along with BART or, or you, know, what other, uh, uh, you know, AI for copywriting is that we're gonna be able to use it as a tool and we're gonna use it to do some of the hard work. At the end of the day, machines aren't thinking. Okay, they're not creating something from scratch. They're going through and they're consolidating and collating, you know, terabytes of information in milliseconds. And that kind of research is really, really productive for a copywriter to use. But the creativity and putting it together and connecting the dots in creative ways is not there. At least in a way that our company's standards would be met so i i don't feel threatened by it i think it's a great tool i think all the other fields in the wedding industry get to use tools like ai is currently available or at least starting to become available for copywriters and that's exciting
1: yeah i i love that you compared it to the photography and the culling because you're totally right I mean there's a difference between just culling through the three thousand plus images and then a difference between actually deciding you know those images that you have that are good now how are you going to create the album how are you going to be it's it's kind of the skilled work on top of that and so using the AI tools as as really the workhorse of what you do so that you can refine your skills and it almost allows you to become better at your craft because it's taking out some of the the rote work right the work that's just you know um,
0: it is yeah Uh, that that makes you know we have a we have a blog content copywriter for instance on our team who handles all the blog content which is a service we offer for our existing website copywriting clients as a continuous service that we can offer And, you know, I remember having a conversation with the team a couple months ago and 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 I was I was telling her, I was like, this is something that's going to save you hours every week by not having to go through and research, you know, things online because you can just ask chat GPT to do it. And so like when we go through and we think about you know laying out the structure of something whether it's a blog post or it could be a bio which we used it for last week it was take all of this information that we plug in as an input and then the output it's 80 percent what we want but then that 20 percent is our time most valuably used and so you know how much more work can we get done how much more creative can we be how much better can we deliver what it is that our clients want most from us rather than just a consolidation of information, which is in many ways what something like ChatGPT is doing.
1: That's so well said. You know, you mentioned calls a little bit earlier, and I'm, I'm curious your take on calls. Do you think calling is still important as a part of a venue manager or sales manager's job, or do you think it's kind of going extinct because this new generation is more interested in chatting or using different messaging options?
0: I think that human beings want to connect with other human beings and nothing will ever replace that I think that um you know the odds are that the more you talk to a potential client the more likely you are to book them uh you know in in today's marketplace it's so easy to get lost with all of the digital communication that goes back and forth so many different chat threads so many different social media platforms so many emails coming across it it just becomes really challenging for a venue or any vendor to stand out. And so one of the best things you can do is reach out and cut through the noise by connecting human to human with potential clients. Is that, like what mode, what medium should people consider using? well I my general rule is to always respond in the medium that the prospect reach out to you so if they DM'd you you DM back if they texted you text back if they called you call back if you know they send you a video memo you send a video message back to them um, the goal I think is to get to as close of a face-to-face experience as is convenient for both parties and that's really going to be Zoom so if somebody inquires you know through DM or, or maybe they they drop an email through the contact form on the website you know you're going to respond in whatever medium that is but then you're going to suggest that they that you all move over to a call and then in that suggestion I I recommend giving people the option of let's you know should we do a, a face-to-face through Zoom so we can see each other and connect that way and share screens if we need to um, or do you prefer phone number and then To eliminate the back and forth, I recommend putting, you know, if Zoom, here's the link. If it's phone number, you know, is this the best number to call? Confirming the number that they left in the form or asking them what number they they prefer to be reached at. What I've found is that um, while Zoom is preferable for people to see each other, you know, so much in body language and um, and and even your background can communicate and advance the sale for you. Some people don't like to get on Zoom. Some people don't want to put a face on or do their hair. Um, Before I got going on this podcast, I walked upstairs 10 minutes ago and I put a collared shirt on. Why? Because I knew this would be on video. But I normally don't work in a collared shirt. I work in a T-shirt and a hoodie. And so I think that there's, for good reason, uh, uh, interest on people to look good, look presentable, have a great backdrop. And so it's best to shoot for that. But if they don't feel comfortable, I wouldn't force them.
1: Hmm. I love that you said Zoom, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm curious how many venues are maybe missing out on this opportunity, because so much of what we do, you know, on-site at venues is there in person. So you kind of, you know, at least from my thinking before this conversation right here, you know, we want to get people to the property. But do you think that's maybe a huge missed opportunity from venue managers, sales managers, that actually it, it would help to kind of connect them and develop more rapport by doing a Zoom prior to actually coming out to the property?
0: I do. I think that there's two different ways you can use Zoom as a venue manager. One is that you can use it early on during a discovery call. If you're inundated with inquiries, for instance, and your calendar's filling up every year and you're really just trying to pick great clients or charge more money for your dates or maybe steer them towards shoulder weekdays or, or, or shoulder season dates in general. Uh, having discovery calls is an important part you don't want to spend an hour to an hour and a half walking around with anybody who's interested in touring with you you don't have that much time I, I I don't think at least if if you're doing very well with your with your calendar filling up so I would recommend screening people with a discovery call so Zoom would be totally appropriate then one of the other upsides to Zoom is that you can use it post tour when you are looking to close the deal this is probably I'm going to say the biggest takeaway from our entire conversation will be this this little nugget right here. So if you're tuning in, stop stop what you're doing in the background and, and pay attention. If you are not closing deals very well, it is likely because you are doing a site tour and then saying, well, let me know what you guys want to do and I'll be here to secure a date with a deposit. There's no opportunity to close a deal like that you need to create an opportunity to have a conversation to discuss which option they're going to move forward with and that's best done on zoom when they have the information in front of them when all the decision makers have had a chance to go through your proposal and now can ask questions of you directly and so zoom is a great way to do that it looks like this you schedule the tour you have a site inspection you walk around with a couple and and you get to know them you connect with them and then you say, "Hey, this was great. Uh, who else is making the decision with you?" Oftentimes, it's mom or dad or both or any number of people. And you say, "Okay, cool. So I'm guessing y'all are going to want to see some information that you can use to make a solid choice. Is that is that right?" And they say, "Oh yeah, we got to go over the proposals. We're going to do that next week or whatever it might be." And you say, "Great. I'm going to send over information for you guys to go over. What I'd love to do though is have the chance to review the information because a lot of people feel a little bit overwhelmed." By all the different options and and components to it and i want to make sure that i can clarify answer any questions and make sure that you have all the information you need to make a solid choice when you do sit down and make the final decision what works best for you monday tuesday wednesday afternoon when can everybody get together for a quick 15-minute call now my experience is 70 to 80 percent of the time the couple is going to say yes to that second call or if you're doing a site inspection like you would for a venue to that second conversation and when you get that date time nailed down that's when you send out information inviting all the decision makers to get on the call now if you've ever done a phone call with like four people on it it's super awkward it's really confusing you don't know who's supposed to talk there's no visual cues So zoom is perfect for that because there seems to be an order to which people carry on the conversation. So if you know, for instance, that mom and dad are putting the credit card down on the venue deposit, you need to talk directly with mom and dad before you are going to get a decision. I I certainly wouldn't trust the couple to be the people who are selling the venue on my behalf. I think I'm a better salesperson than them. I'm sure you, Jonathan, think you're a better salesperson than the couples you two are around with just as all of the people who are listening to this right now feel like they're the best salesperson for their company don't trust the couple to do the selling for you you need to get to the person who has the credit card so that you can convince them that you're the best fit
1: sam this is so this is really challenging kind of how i'm thinking about this conversation like the second conversation that happens after the tour because i think as folks in the venue industry, whether you're a sales manager, venue manager, owner, etc., you are creating a very intentional opportunity for the couple to tour, right? You're scheduling them. You're saying, hey, I'm gonna meet you at this time and place. You're maybe giving them instructions around d- driving directions, like all of that. And there's a lot of information out there about that. But then the next stage, uh, most people aren't you know, pulling out their checkbook or credit card right away and taking the payment. They're looking at other venues. They're going back and reviewing. So now, you don't have there's no intentionality there's only follow-up and the follow-up generally like you said happens like yeah let me know what you think you're kind of throwing the ball to them and allowing them to pass it back instead of having intentionality around having that second booking discussion which is really what it is because when you have that you have an opportunity to say hey great i'm you know i answered all your questions anything else or can i get this sent over boom yes we can get it sent over you're actually asking for the sale and i don't think people in our industry are asking for the sale
0: That's right. Asking for the sale is is something that most people do not do. And you wonder why you're getting ghosted. Well, you're getting ghosted because you never asked for a second date. Like Getting ghosted is a dating metaphor, right? Like I got ghosted. I thought we were in a relationship. Everything was going well and then all of a sudden they disappeared. But the thing is, you never had a relationship with a couple. You just spent a little bit of time emailing with them or maybe they walked around with you for half an hour and then you're like, okay, great. You know, Let me know if you're interested. You have to ask them out on another date. How are you going to get that other date if nobody asked for it? so if you if you want to get to contract and deposit you've got to set yourself up an opportunity that means preparing a proposal after your first date and saying hey you know what I had a really great time I felt like it was a really good fit on price personality and the experience that you and your family and friends are going to have here at the venue I'd love to send over a proposal to see if this is going to be a good fit long term what do you think they say yeah we really loved it or maybe they say no it wasn't a very you know good experience for us we aren't really that interested now you just save all yourself the time headache and worry about that couple they didn't ghost you you just agreed that it wasn't worth going out on a second date how relieving for you but let's say it does go forward and let's say that you are you know that they are interested now you're like great so here's what other couples have found works really well is if we set up an opportunity to have another conversation but let's bring all the people in and have a discussion about what it would look like for us to move forward and you can say this in a way where it's like look Sarah and Steve I don't want to put you in a position where you're answering a bunch of questions for mom and dad and either a making it up or B feeling like you should be a part-time employee for my venue because you have to try and sell them on why you love it so much let me do that. Let me get in the middle. Let me take the bullets for you on the hard questions. Let me explain what it is that y'all are going to love most about getting married here. That's my job. That's why I'm here. I'm in your corner.
1: Yeah. And again, I'm hearing intentionality and I'm also hearing, you know, you not, it's not high pressure sales tactics. You're just wanting to give them the best opportunity to not have to remember every single detail from all the other venues that they've toured. but. You're giving them an opportunity to have a trusted, you know, representative, an ally for them in a conversation with some decision makers and whether they, you know, if they choose to not go with you, no problem. But again, you're doing that over Zoom. You know, you're not wondering, hey, where'd they go? Um, You're not, you're not wondering that. Sam, something else that I I kind of, you know, you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about this. I feel like a lot of times we have relationships on accident right? It's kind of the relationships that, you know, the people that we pass on a daily basis or our family or friends we happen to meet. And really what we're talking about here is intentionally creating relationships and asking people to make decisions, which is tough for a lot of people, right? What is your... Yeah, help me understand, kind of unpack that a little bit more as far as like helping people make decisions without coming across like high pressure or salesy or trying to like close someone, but at the same time, like, we've got to help them make a decision.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up, because my wife and I were interested in buying a new car. And so I'm literally in the middle of car shopping right now. And it is fascinating to see the different sales tactics that car salesmen use. And what's not surprising are some of the salesy, you know, sleazy sales tactics that I'm experiencing. Most of them focused on things like scarcity, for instance. But what is surprising is how many of them sound like a lot of the proposals and correspondence that I read from coaching clients that hire me to do a sales process audit. And I see a lot of these kind of hard sales tactics in uh, the wedding space, which is surprising because we oftentimes associated them only with you know, kind of scuzzy positions like used car salesmen like I'm actually dealing with. But to your question, I think the way that you do it in a way that doesn't feel like a used car salesman is that you look at it instead of selling, you look at it as helping. How can you help your couples who are looking for a place to get married, get what they want and need? And the conversation then turns because you don't feel like you're doing something that's you know immoral or unethical or pushy. Or, or salesy because you're not selling you're helping and so the questions that you ask are in good faith they're they're curious you know you're curious about you know what's really going on you're trying to uncover what the actual issue is so that you can offer a solution that's going to help them get what they really need not not just the functional need of you know dates rates and spaces but the emotional needs of feeling like they made a good choice or picking a date that's going to work for everybody or having a venue manager that's going to help sort out some of the group dynamics that have been frustrating or making it easy for them not to stress about having all of the equipment being brought in because you provided at your venue whatever it may be you're out seeking the problems that they're running into and then offering a solution that's going to make their lives better and and i that's how i always look at it i look at that when i was when i was working at the olive garden selling you know unlimited salad soup and breadsticks uh when i was uh, cold calling for the college that i went to as a member of the team that was trying to generate you know uh, um, scholarship fund income through people's donations um you know working as a venue manager and doing the coaching that i do now and, and selling the services that we sell like copywriting for websites all of that is done because i know that it helps people and and it gets people what it is that they want to need so look at it that way it, it goes away from selling and instead comes in turns into something that that makes you feel really good about what you're doing
1: yeah i i love that i think that's that's really powerful and you know, I'd like to spend the last bit of of our time together today talking about, you know, you mentioned kind of a sales process audit. I'd love to start, you know, you do so much with with on the marketing space, right? And so converting, ideally marketing processes converting leads or converting, you know, kind of light interest and intention to buy signals, website searches and things like that to a sale, to a booking, right? What things are are you seeing as really common things that a lot of people are missing that's putting friction in between the process when you have someone who's showing those intent to buy signals or doing website searches and then there's booking? What are those those points of friction that you're commonly seeing from your coaching clients?
0: Yeah, so when I do sales process audits, I usually start with just a quick sweep of online presence and then um contact form I go through and look at the inquiry response correspondence back and forth uh Discovery call questions and then uh proposal and that's you know that's that's essentially the sales process so I dig into each one of those um let's see some common problems that I see that are really debilitating in the sales process moving forward contact form is the number one um you know early on I see people putting too much friction in the contact form There's an inverse relationship between the number of form fields you have and the number of inquiries you get, meaning that the more form fields you have for them to fill out, the fewer inquiries you get, the fewer form fields you have, the more inquiries you're going to get. I went to uh, somebody's website today. She's a planner that we work with, and uh, she was saying that she doesn't get any inquiries, even with her new website. And so I went through and I looked at the contact form and there were 16 questions on the contact form so if I'm Gen Z or you know late stage millennial and I'm on my phone waiting for my friend to arrive at the bar and I've got a glass of wine and she's a few minutes late and I'm like oh I guess I'll inquire with this person that I'm interested in or this venue that I'm interested in and you go and you start filling it out and then you're like thumb swipe more fields thumb swipe more fields thumb swipe still more fields you're not even going to fill out the contact form you're going to close it out and write them off as a venue that you don't like anymore so all that work was done to get them to the point where they were supposed to contact you right that's the point of the contact form is to contact you not to gather information like the IRS would where they want to you want to know everything about them before they inquire so I would keep it real simple name and email required I would put down you know date that you have in mind um I put down uh you know some open form field about tell us more about what kind of wedding you're interested in having you know something along those lines and, and I'd call it good with that dump all the other fields second thing that I see happen is the next thing that occurs in the sales process which is the inquiry response and most people that I know especially venue managers love a good automated email response and and what they do because they they don't have to do any work is they pack it full of all the information, big long email three four eight hundred words with all sorts of attachments that are in there could be pricing guides could be brochures could be sample menus could be layouts could be you know links to x y and z and then you you hope that somebody gets back to you I call it the PDF and pray approach where you get an automated response you send out a PDF and you pray that somebody actually responds to it but what ends up happening is that it's like an avalanche of information that hits the couple and all of a sudden they're like how can I wade through these 10 to 12 screens worth of text and all of these attachments I don't even know which ones they are because I can't read the files because it's on my phone and so I don't even get a preview of anything and so they don't end up opening any of the links they don't end up going through and looking at the attachments they don't read any of the copy and again you wonder why nobody's getting back to you and why they're ghosting you is because you're scaring the crap out of them with your inquiry response Mm -hmm. another thing that I see a lot of challenge on is is sending detailed pricing information up front and and oftentimes that occurs on that initial inquiry response most people are not ready for pricing specifics they want to know how much it costs to start looking at your services but when you share all of the information in that email, plus all the pricing and the packages, and, and then an FAQ attachment, like there's no reason to carry on the conversation unless they're ready to book. And, and if that's your goal, to only deal with people who are ready to book, by all means, keep doing that. But if you're wondering why you're not getting enough people to move forward past the first step, it's probably because of those reasons.
1: So it's so many, I mean, I, I've got, So many questions on each one of those pieces. And and so we'll unpack some of this because that was all so good. Um, So on the contact form, I think you mentioned four things. You said name, email, like phone number, and then some sort of general open form or maybe like a um,
0: date. 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 Yeah, date. So not yeah, not phone number, not phone number. Okay, not phone number. I think phone number is pretty personal. Um, you know, I think a lot of people feel like if you give some of your phone number that you're giving away your, your personal freedom, you know, um, it's, it's a real challenge, I think for people to want to give up that phone number. I've looked at hot jar recordings, screen records of people's, you know, people filling out contact forms, phone number is something that oftentimes lead to form abandonment. Um, I don't know, you know, (laughs) I'll tell you a funny story. So my brother, he and I are pretty close. I'm actually going down to see him in a couple of days. Um, you know, it, he calls me unexpectedly all the time and and I leave my phone on. Do not disturb. But even when it rings, I'm like, Ben's calling. Like, what does he want? Like, why didn't he set up an appointment? You know, like I'm busy. I got work to do here, man. And like, he's my own brother, right? If I call my brother, Ben and like, I'll call him out of the blue and, or I'll, I'll text him and I'll say, Hey bud, you got a second to chat. And like, he's like, is everything. Okay. Like, yeah, everything's okay. He's like, oh, you just like, it's just not normal for me to get phone calls from you out of the blue and he's my brother. I love him. We we talk all the time. And even he is like, okay, I got to make a decision on whether or not like this is something that I want to spend time on. So I, I think getting calls from strangers out of the blue is usually problematic and not something that you're going to get a lot of access.
1: Hmm. Okay. So then- it- so this is interesting though, because earlier you were talking about how you want to connect more with the clients. We were talking about Zoom and things like that. At what point then do you get or gather the phone number so that you can reach out to them through text or through, because if you're not asking for the phone number on that initial contact form, you know, you can't text them, you can't call them. You're basically only emailing them or direct messaging them if they inquire, if, if there's some sort of touch point on direct message. And sometimes people's inboxes are full of all of the other stuff that's going on in the wedding planning. Talk to me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, again, the rule of thumb is to, you know, respond to people in the way that they respond to you. So if they email, you email back. Um, you know, the goal of the, the, the contact form is to get them to contact you. So I think that anything that doesn't make that easier or more likely to occur, you should question whether or not it needs to be there. So I don't think that having them fill out another form field with something they feel is kind of private, like their phone number, is going to encourage people to fill that form out more. So that that's why I would I would hold that back. But again, when you when you respond to the inquiry, the goal is to schedule a call with them, not to actually make the phone call. You want to set up an opportunity where they're in a good state of mind, they're 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 open to the conversation. They are ready and prepared for what it is that you're going to talk about. If you if you pick up the if you call the, somebody out of the blue and they pick up the phone, you're like, "Hey, it's Sam from so and so venue. Uh, you left an inquiry for me, and I thought I'd give you a call and see if we could talk about your wedding." and And they're like, "Uh, I'm sorry, I'm at work." Like <laughs> I'm working now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I submitted that inquiry last night when I was at home having a glass of wine watching the game with my fiance because I was bored by it. I decided to do some venue hunting and I submitted the inquiry, but I don't want to talk to you right now. I'm working. That's yeah. what they're thinking in their head. So I would remember that the goal of the contact form is to get them to contact you. The goal of the inquiry response is to set a date and time at which you all know that you're having a conversation about your venue, about Booking that service from you, and so um, you know, get the call scheduled, and then once you get the call scheduled, after they've made the appointment, that's when you can worry about. Okay, great. Do you want to do a call or do you want to do Zoom? Mm-hmm.
1: A question then about that. So once you do once you do the call, let's say you kind of have a, an initial dialogue, right? And so you have requested their phone number, or let's say they provided it because they're like, hey, we're going to do a call. Uh, they don't want to do a Zoom, whatever, right? So they give you the phone number, and now you have their phone number. Is there any sort of follow-up process that you feel like is, um, is appropriate to kind of help Develop the lead a little bit and maybe cut through some of that noise. Does phone just calling on the phone uh, play a role in that? or really are you trying to use other mediums again because you don't want to you know you're you're seeing that phone calling is maybe not working?
0: I would want to schedule the next activity when I'm on that current activity. So, that's just another general best practice for anything in sales like you're always trying to get the next activity scheduled so when somebody's on your website you're trying to get them to reach out to you when they reach out to you, you're trying to get them to set up a call when you're on the call you're trying to set up a site tour when you're on the site tour you're trying to set up the second phone call when your second phone call you're trying to set up the deposit request and the contract being signed so th- you know that and that's if it all works out ideal now I think to your real question which is if they don't want to come in or they they ghost you or whatever what do you do then knowing that you've got this you know piece of gold information their phone number what do you do with it you know i would still say that 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 on the call if if they're a bit evasive i would ask you know that's great sounds good i love that you're going to go ahead and just you know check out other venues before you commit to touring knowing that that's the next step you're trying to get um you know and then I would say something like I I want to make sure that I'm there for you when you need it but I also don't want to be you know super stalker and you know call you every day or email you every day what's the best way for me to follow up and then they're going to share with you what they would like you to do if it's phone call text great amazing use that if it's email do that um if they say wait you wait if um you know if you can ask for a time frame great all that sounds good I know that dates are flying out there and you know there's a lot of pressure to book your date um you know do you guys have a sense of what kind of turnaround you're looking at most of the couples that we work tend to you know go about two to three weeks from inquiry to actually choosing a venue what kind of time frame are you looking at so you, and you see what I did there in that in that word track I slipped in some social proof to let them know hey this is the way that the herd is going and you should follow that herd down a safe path to picking your venue in the right amount of time you don't have to do it right away but you shouldn't wait more than two or three weeks and usually people go oh yeah we're, we're looking at things like this weekend we'll have some more ideas okay great so should I should I ping you on like Monday if I haven't heard from you like what's a good time frame now you're using the power of suggestion to create actually what it is a reduce cognitive load so it's easier for them to go yes or no rather than come up with the next activity or the next time so you know simple basic things like this are going to help grease the the path forward for you that's that's awesome,
1: so, such a good explanation of it. You know, one more thing that I quickly, and we're obviously not gonna have time to break down the whole process, and, and I think that's the beauty of this. You know, we get to kind of tease it a little bit, dive into it a little bit, and get an understanding, and then maybe folks can reach out to, to you more if, if they're interested in going through this. But um, as as part of what you said, you said if you're only interested in talking to clients that are ready to book right away. And what you're kind of implying, or what I heard you implying was, you should maybe have a roster of clients who maybe are not ready to make that immediate purchase decision, but who you know might be warm leads who are not ready in the next week or two, but they're maybe ready in the next 30, 45, 60 days to make that decision as they assess their financial picture or whatever. Give us just briefly here some ways that you reactivate or you kind of keep that warm list warm and maybe even move some of those those folks that really truly are not ready to make that decision right away, but are, are, you know, looking to make it uh, a month later or something like that. How do you keep them engaged as, as potential clients?
0: So I'll give you two, two tips here. One is, uh, you know, real simple, basic touch point, which is, uh, you know, you can send out an email, Hey, hope y'all are doing well. Wonder how the wedding planning is going. Thought you might find this piece of content valuable. I mean, you're not going to say that, but essentially that's what you're saying in the email. And then you send over like two or three links to blog posts that you and chat GPT have written together. And, and they could be, they could be listicles like top seven things to make sure you nail down before choosing your venue or, you know, 14 questions I wished I would have asked the venue manager on my site inspection, or, you know, three ways to negotiate, you know, parents and, uh, you know, fiancés who can't agree on a date, right? So like you're thinking about how can you help them knock over the obstacles that are getting in the way to booking the venue? And you, you and I, Jonathan, both know like there are some pretty frequent culprits when it comes to why couples won't move forward. One of them is they can't figure out a date. They may love the venue, but they can't all figure out what date is going to work for everybody or maybe they ask a bunch of questions and they tour it around but everything kind of feels the same and they don't know how to differentiate between the venues so what if you gave them the tools to actually knock over that obstacle and get past that barrier to be able to then be in a buying window to say yes to you so I I would I would send over some some pieces of content that are already on your website it, you know it shows again that you're helping them solve problems that are getting in the way it feels like you're reading their mind and they appreciate that and it brings them back to your website which eventually they'll start to kind of go through and spend a little bit more time on the second thing and this is this is a real solid nugget is you send over your updated availability calendar to them once a week and this is really powerful because it 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 lets them know what's open and available but they'll also start to feel a little bit not a lot but a little bit of the scarcity set in and scarcity is very powerful you don't need a lot of it you know like the car salesman who sent me a text saying hey any chance you want to come in a day earlier than you scheduled your your test drive would be good because I feel like this is a hot car and may go sooner before you get here like that's pretty salesy right Mm -hmm. but but if they would if they would go through after say the weekend and let me know hey just want to let you know that we did a bunch of tours or we did a bunch of test drives and uh the car that you have is still available um or hey you know we had three of them but now only two of them are left like I would find that helpful without being pushy so when I was selling venues what I would do is I would take the end of the weekend after I did a bunch of tours and I I got some contracts or I put some soft holds out and I would take the availability calendar which I would share publicly with anybody who is actively interested in the venue I would send over just a simple document that showed the calendar with grayed out dates so that we're no longer available every Sunday afternoon hey Sarah and Steve hope you guys are doing well seems like just yesterday that you were up here I know it's been three weeks I hope you've had some opportunities to tour other venues if you're still interested our venue just opened up a few extra or, or closed down a few other dates I wanted to make sure you had the most updated availability calendar anything pop out at you that you want to put a hold on question mark and I just leave it at that and I would do that every Sunday to anybody who was active and without a doubt I would get somebody to go you know what I'm so glad you did that we totally forgot about it you know I'm so glad our date's available here's a deposit or can you hold it till tomorrow till we can call and give you a credit card there was usually some activity that would move a deal forward and you know you do that once a week you get one person every week to move forward that's you know 50 dates a year that's a lot of business that's a
1: huge amount of business and a lot of venues you know they they need that you know that's that's important that's meaningful revenue for them um well that's huge you know bonus bonus question here right at the end (laughs) i said i had just one last one but bonus question hit me with it buddy hit me with it you you mentioned Uh, dates, sharing the calendar, right? Are you a fan of putting your calendar on your website so it's publicly available? Or would you hold that off of the website and use it as a tool further along in in the process?
0: I would not put it on the website. I would withhold it and make them inquire. You know, the, the, the goal of the website is to drive inquiries to your inbox. That's the number one highest goal that your website has. And so if you share all the information with people, including the availability, which is probably the most fundamental question for a venue, then you preclude the need for them to reach out. And and so if you instead withhold it, but then offer it relatively quickly and say, yes, we're available, and we're also available for all these other dates, then it one, starts a conversation, but two, gets them thinking about other dates that maybe they hadn't yet considered you know I think at some point businesses move from I want to fill my calendar to I want to make as much money with the dates that are on my calendar that's a big jump in 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 owning a venue and so you know when you're when you get to that stage where you're transitioning from I want to fill my calendar to I want to charge more for the dates on my calendar it's really important to make sure that you are doing what you can to drive peak season revenue and also Make sure that you're filling in those shoulder season dates. And and that can be done very well by creating a dynamic pricing structure where, you know, maybe the top 10% dates are being charged super peak or peak rates. And, you know, that maybe the next 10 to 30% of the dates are being charged shoulder or, or peak dates, rates. And then the remaining balance, say 60-70%, are those off-season dates, and you're doing what you can to bring more people and fill the calendar on those dates you know when i was selling venues i remember the first year that i started selling at the resort we had uh, 13 events on the 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 dates in july and august and the last year that i sold we had 60 events out of 62 dates so when people tell me like oh i'm full i'm like really are you full like talk to me about full because my culinary team knew what full was they, they were coming at me with their chef knives because they were doing an event every day for two months because there's so many more opportunities that are out there. You know, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Sundays, Saturdays during non-peak dates. And you can use a dynamic pricing strategy to move people to those dates. Look at movie theaters. I don't know if you saw this, Jonathan, but last month, AMC, the largest movie theater chain, announced last month that not only were they charging different rates for different times, which they started doing you know more than just matinee and night you know many many years ago they made that change but now they're actually charging dynamically based on where your seat is in the theater so the best seats that are in the middle say midway or two-thirds of the way back those are at a premium the ones that are off to the side are less expensive the ones that are way up or way down are less expensive so movie theaters are doing what airline companies and hotels have done for decades now which is really getting hyper local on where they're going to put their price points and so I think that venues have a huge opportunity to do that and by withholding that until somebody inquires you have more of an opportunity to massage it and guide it and modify it and change it without um putting off the people who have already inquired that may be going back later so um you know you can you have Rate flexibility and uh, you know more control over what it is that um, the conversation is directed towards.
1: That's that's super powerful, and and you're totally right because if they're going back, if you're publishing all that information or your pricing, and people are seeing the pricing fluctuate, they're they're going to go, come on, what's what's going on here? But they don't see the other side of it, which is running the business, which is maybe that date got six requests versus another date that's been really hard to get
0: one. You know oh yeah I mean when I was when I was fielding inquiries if I got uh, you know say two or three requests for you know say Saturdays in July or even Saturdays in July and August I I would when the fourth inquiry came in I would I would have an updated price calendar that had an increase of 500 a thousand two thousand dollars if I had people who were fighting over dates I would increase the price on the third person or the fourth person that would inquire and 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 if if you publish that stuff online you can get yourself into trouble I mean I think that there are ethical ways to get out of that and by just saying look we like airline companies we change the rates like it could be different within eight seconds you know no promises it's it is what it is when you book but until it goes into your cart and it says cart expires in 25 minutes with a countdown clock on it it's not set in stone but that still feels kind of yucky right so you don't want to do that very much um you know you instead want to have a piece of collateral that you can send out privately to people who will never know each other and, and never talk with each other. And as long as you feel good about, you know, charging more or less for dates, depending on what your model is, then, then I I think your ethics will allow you to sleep at night. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, Sam, this is all just like such incredible information. I think people need to hear it. Venue owners need to hear it. You know, small businesses within the the wedding and event space as well need to hear it. And there's a lot of good stuff. You know, if people are interested in diving in more and maybe getting one of those audits or um, just kind of understanding more about the dynamic pricing that you're talking about or whatever, what's the best place to reach out to you?
0: Yeah, best place is to go to Instagram. ID Action Consulting is a good spot. Uh, we offer little nuggets uh, three or four times a week Uh, another great place uh, free content is the podcast that i do i have own your business podcast uh, which is uh, for wedding and event professionals talks about sales pricing copywriting Uh, that's a great place to get information i've got a newsletter that i send out to almost six thousand wedding professionals every wednesday and you can get that by going to idactionconsulting.com and at the bottom you can sign up for the newsletter with your name and email address um, if you are interested specifically in a sales process audit, feel free to DM me on Instagram. I do respond to those. I'm the one who, who who gets back to people and happy to share some more information with you. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Well appreciate you so much, Sam. Thanks again for, for coming on. And again, I feel like we just scratched the surface. <laughs> we might have to have you back for a third time. <laughs> but this was uh, this was awesome. I appreciate your time.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, Jonathan. I'm glad it was useful, and yeah, I'll, I'll I'll ring you back in six months, and we can get the next one on the books. Amazing, we'll do it.
1: Hey there, thanks so much for listening. If you are a return listener, could you do me a huge favor and consider rating and reviewing the show? We don't run ads. We're not really looking to do that, but we do want to grow the show. And so, my ask to you is: you take a moment or two and rate the show wherever you're listening to it, whether that is Apple Music, Spotify, uh, even if you're on, you know, YouTube. I'd love to, I'd love to hear from you. Please shoot me a DM though on Instagram so that I can thank you personally, and I'd love to shout you out as well. I appreciate you more than you can imagine. All right, back to the show.